Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. Thank you. Thank you. That's super, super kind of you. It's great to see all of you here this morning. I want to say a big thank you to Pastors George and Suzanne for inviting me and granting me this opportunity to open up God's word with you and share it. It is an honor to do that. So I'm super, super grateful. Let me start off by asking you guys a question. How many of you have ever owned a pocket-sized toy? Right? Right? They're, they're fascinating. The, the level of detail and, and artistry and, and the engineering that goes into these things is amazing. It's kind of like they smash the super cool and the adorable all into the same little thing. It's really, really neat. And the toy industry has run away with many a parent's dollar bill, okay? Because if you get your kid one of these pocket-sized toys, yeah, you, you, you better believe it's a part of a collection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then before you know it, you're stepping on them in the dark. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But you know what else is an appeal to these miniature-sized things? Is the ability to carry them with you anytime, anywhere you go. As if it's right there in your pocket, you can just pull it out whenever you need it. And today, we're going to talk about pocket-sized trust. Not in the sense of the size, even though a little bit of trust can go a long way but more along the lines of carrying trust with you everywhere you go, that you can access it anytime you need it. Amen? Amen. Let me pray and we'll get started. Father, in Jesus' name, build our trust this morning in you and in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, trust is a virtue of significant value. The truth is, trust is everywhere. Trust is given and received every single day. And as such, it matters. It matters how you spend it, where you give it, how you gain it, where you invest it. As a matter of fact, everyone has um, done a little bit of trusting today. But I want to establish a baseline for our time together. Here's the definition of trust. The definition of trust is the firm belief in the reliability, the truth, the ability, or strength of someone or something. Now, all of you have exercised trust already today. I was in here earlier, right, and I didn't see anyone come in with a headlamp, a screwdriver, and a set of varying weights testing out the stability of our chairs. No. You guys just walked in, 
and you trusted that it was going to hold you up, so you just sat down. Good job, chairs. Good job. So with that said, here's a question. Who should we trust? Who should we trust? And like an open book test, I'll just give you the answer. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is who we should trust because it all points to him. You get this trust situation going in the right direction, and you're going to spill trust into all of the relationships that you have in your life. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says something extraordinary and all-encompassing. And we're going to begin reading it in verse 24. It says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority quite unlike their teachers of religious law. What I want you to capture here is that these are big-time words from Jesus. Anyone who listens and follows, anyone who doesn't hear, who hears and doesn't obey, wise versus foolish, Standing versus collapsing. Jesus is elevating these words to the highest level, to a life and death level. And when he released these words, they were serious and they disrupted the atmosphere. So what do we do now? Jesus has spoken these words. What do we do now? The next thing we do is a matter of trust. Remember the definition. The firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone. So here's a question. Can we trust the reliability of Jesus' words as truth? It's a great question, especially in our current culture. See, in our current culture, we are inundated with information. There is an overload of stimulation that occupies our time, and a byproduct of that in the church are believers who don't really know what they believe. And when you don't know what you believe, you don't know what to do because you don't know where your trust has gone. 
one challenging question against your faith will erode the trust out from beneath the beliefs you once proclaimed. And I don't ever want to find myself in a place where I know very little about the reliability and the truthfulness of my faith. See, because to me, trust in my faith means owning my faith. I want to own my faith. And I am so excited to show you what that looks like at the very end of our time together. But till we get there, let's connect some dots. Let's connect some dots and see if Jesus' words here are reliable and truthful. Because if they are, I want all of us to build on the rock. Amen? Yeah. All right, now buckle up. Lean in. Lots of information coming your way. You guys ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. General revelation. God reveals himself to everyone everywhere through general revelation. General revelation includes creation, common grace, and conscience. Romans chapter 1 sums up creation this way. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. How many of you ever stared at a full moon? Amen. How many of you have ever gazed across the Grand Canyon, at Niagara Falls, at Mount Rainier, watched any planet documentary narrated by David Attenborough? Yeah. Boom, done, deal, yes. Amen. There is a God. You're filled with Wow. Common grace is a, oh, let me finish the verse, sorry. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. General revelation, creation. Common grace, common grace is a term that was coined by a Christian theologian who lived a long, long time ago. His name is Augustine, okay? He coined that term to describe a grace that is for everyone and therefore common to all humans. Examples of common grace are the food we eat, the water we drink, the sun that we get to enjoy, and the rain that comes when we need it. These are all examples of common grace that is shared across all mankind. Matthew 5 describes common grace this way. For he, being God, gives his, because we established that God created stuff, his sunlight to both the evil and the good. Common, no matter who you are. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And last but not least for general revelation, conscience. Let me read it out of Romans chapter 2. 
even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. Listen, folks, you don't need to know God and you don't need to know God's word to know that it is wrong to walk up in your neighbor's house and steal his TV right off his wall. God's morality is written in our hearts and he sends the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. General revelation. Now, from there... We can embrace it and by God's grace, take it a step further to special revelation. Okay? Special revelation refers to the more specific truths that can be known about God through the supernatural. There's a distinction here. God has acted And spoken in such a way throughout human history that reveals this one truth. He desires to make himself known. Through dreams. Through visions. Through miracles. Through the manifest presence of God. He longs to make himself known. And he has revealed himself supremely. In Jesus. And Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he was led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the writing of the Holy Bible. The Holy Bible. God continues to reveal himself. Today, in dreams, and visions, in miraculous power, miraculous healings. But the primary way that God reveals himself to mankind is through the inerrant, infallible, divinely inspired, authoritative Holy Bible. It is the most common, yet holy and glorious, special revelation that we have available to us. So now, let's go ahead and build some trust in the Bible. The thematic message of the Holy Bible, the theme that can be carried across the entire narrative of the, of the Holy Scriptures is this, is the glorious redemption and restoration of sinful man from God the Father through God the Son, by God the Holy Spirit. Thematic message. Now here are some Bible facts. The Bible was written originally in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. That alone is astounding. I speak Spanish, okay? Listen, you put me in a room with a Spaniard who speaks Castilian Spanish, 
a Argentine who speaks Argentinian Spanish and a Mexican who speaks Central American Spanish. And it's going to be, que, 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 like literally, uh, like, a, like a shooting range with ARs. Listen, and that's just Spanish. That's just Spanish. I don't understand everything they say. And my Spanish people know what I'm talking about. Three different languages. Same message. The Bible was also written across 1,500 years. That's a long time. Think of the sovereign protection. God ain't playing around. The Bible was also written by 40 authors of varying ages and background. Think of the sovereign synchronicity. It blows your mind. It was written on three separate continents. Lots of different experiences, lots of different cultures, still, um, still the same message. Amazing. Amazing. Your holy Bible. The Bible consists of 66 books. 39 books in the Old Testament cover creation till about 400 B.C. Then there was 400 years of silence. And then the message, Jesus, God incarnate. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God showed up on the scene, and the four Gospels kick off the New Testament, and they describe the life, burial, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then, for all my history buffs, we have over 5,000 manuscripts, like right now, like in libraries, in museums, over 5,000 thousand manuscripts no other ancient document has that level of preservation and that level of accuracy listen we have less than 50 copies of some ancient writings less than a dozen copies of other ancient writings for comparative purposes Alexander the Great no one here, if you know him, would question his existence. He's in history books. We know that he conquered the known world by the age of 30, died at age 32, was tutored by Aristotle himself. And everything that we know from Al about Alexander the Great is from two reliable sources, two biographies we have 5,000 more than 5,000 listen and when I and here's another little side fun fact the biographies on Alexander the Great were written over 400 years after the events of his life 400 years when I tell you that the New Testament was completed within 70 years Within 70 years, talk about recency, 99% accuracy, no divergence on any doctrinal theme. I'm telling you people, this is mind-blowing reliability. 
Go like this. Take your fist, put them upside, upside your head. Stick out three fingers on each side. Okay? And then make this sound. Mind blown. Mind blowing reliability, people. Okay? We built some trust in the Holy Bible. Now let's take a look at Jesus. The world says that Jesus is a great moral example, an insightful teacher, a prophet maybe, and a defender of the poor and marginalized. Okay? That's what the world says. But now that we've established the Holy Bible as the Holy Bible, what does the, what does the Holy Bible say about Jesus? Well, God the Father said Jesus was God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, God the Father is speaking. He says, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. Amen. Listen, there is no greater mark of Jesus' Jesus's deity than God the Father saying so. Amen. Case closed. Well, we're going to have some more fun. You know who else said that Jesus was God? Demons. Yup. Demons. Why are you interfering with us? This is the voice that I, I would use with my children when I'm reading something that the demons are saying. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Even demons know that Jesus is God. And last but not least, Jesus said he was God. No other founder of any major world religion has ever made this claim. No founder of any major world religion has ever made that claim. He made that claim in various ways, and the Bible plainly states it through the lives of many others. It was a claim that he never recanted. And it was the sole reason why his enemies sought to kill him and ultimately did. Jesus, in Matthew 26, he's before religious leaders. In Matthew 26, beginning in verse 63. But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now I'm going to pause there. Not only is Jesus going to confirm what they've asked, 
but he's going to raise the ante. Okay? Jesus replies, you said it. And here he goes, doing scriptural karate. This is amazing. Okay? And in the future, other translations say, from this moment on, and in the future you will see the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Jesus' favorite and most often used title for himself. It's a reference to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. The prophet Daniel has a vision where he sees the ancient of days sitting on a throne. And then he sees someone with the appearance of a son of man approaching that throne. And the ancient of days bestows on him all dominion, all glory, and a kingdom that will never end. There is no doubt here. Jesus invoking this title is filled with divinity. Religious leaders don't get it twisted. And if that wasn't enough, he keeps doing his spiritual, scriptural karate. You will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand. Jesus leaving no doubt that he is equal with God. Equality with God. I am the Son of God coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Blasphemy! Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. Jesus left no doubt. That he wasn't some political leader that they were hoping for. He indeed was the Messiah, the anointed king, the son of God, the son of man. And he let them know that. And sadly for them, it wasn't blasphemy. The truth was standing right there in front of them. Billy Graham said it this way. Billy Graham is a famous evangelist. Led millions to Jesus actually passed away two years ago this weekend he said it this way Jesus was not just another great religious teacher nor was he only another in a long line of individuals seeking after spiritual truth he was instead truth itself he was God incarnate that's Billy Graham so Question, can we believe Jesus' words as truth? Here's the bottom line. God is real. Jesus is real. The Holy Spirit is real. And the Holy Bible is true. Dots connected. Now we can look at Matthew 7 and trust Jesus' words. And when that is settled in your heart, you can move forward in trusting his words. Anyone who listens listens 
to my teaching and follows it is wise. Don't miss it. My teaching, that's all-encompassing. That's all-encompassing. All of his words. And if you think you could just live on Jesus' words, he fulfilled the Old Testament too. Later on in this book, at the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is hiking up this mountain with Peter, John, and James, and then he does this like glow thing. It, it, it must have been spectacular. I want to see that. Like he just, I don't know what, I don't know what he did, but he literally became this glowing ball of light that knocked those three down onto the ground. And guess what? He met with Moses, who was long dead, who symbolizes the law. And he also met with Elijah. All three of them met with Elijah, who symbolizes the prophets. The law and the prophets constitute the Old Testament, which Jesus fulfilled. Come on, man. Jesus, listen. This is some stuff. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. It's foolish. It's foolish. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. He taught with real authority. See, when you move your belief in these words into action, that's trust. That's trust. That's what trust looks, looks like. And that's what we're called to do here with Jesus' weighty words. To gaze on them. To digest them. To follow after them. Because without trust in his words, our beliefs in him will erode like a house built on sand. So let me ask you, what trials in your life are killing your trust? Seriously, what keeps you awake at night? Fear of losing your job? A wayward child, a health battle, a financial crisis. What is trying to kill your trust in God? In my opinion, the number one trust killer, let me just skip that, is fear. The number one trust killer is fear. It's literally sand underneath your house because the truth is where you fear the most that's where you trust God the least that's why with pastor Nathan's message on unforgiveness that's why unforgiveness looks like a scary monster I don't want to see what reconciliation and forgiveness looks like that means I got to deal with the pain I'm scared of that Listen, storms are coming. Storms are already here. And they can, they can be intense. They can be intense. Jesus promised them. Though the rain comes in torrents, that's a storm. Wave after wave after wave, that's a storm. 
and the floodwaters rise. That's a storm. Man, I feel like I'm suffocating. I don't know what to do. I'm getting tired. And the winds beat against that house. That's another storm. Storm after storm after storm after storm. Wearing you down so that fear can creep in and erode the trust out from under you. And I'm here to tell you today. Keep reading. It won't collapse. It won't collapse. Those are Jesus' words. Jesus' words. I won't collapse. That's a pocket-sized declaration that many of you should keep with you. Another, well, the way we combat fear is with faith. With faith. When you listen and you follow after Jesus' words, you don't live by sight anymore. You live by faith. Trust killer number two, despair. Despair is when you lose all hope. When you lose all hope. It happens when we set up expectations of what success looks like, what happiness looks like, according to our limited understanding, and then those things don't happen. It can spin you into despair. All of that versus simply trusting the words of Jesus himself. Listen, Jesus said that you won't collapse, but he didn't say what standing looks like. How do you combat despair? With hope. With hope. The definition of hope is the feeling of trust. Isn't that great? Let the feeling of trust seep into your bones and cause you to hope and remember the goodness of God. Because no matter how many storms you face, God has always been good to you. That's the God we serve. And last, trust killer, the ways of the world. See, when we give greater credence to the things of this world, it destroys our trust in God. Erosion will take place and things in our lives will begin to crash. So how do you combat the ways of the world? With the word, with the word, with the word, with the word of God. Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. You see, if we can look upon his words with reverent eyes, because they're Jesus' word, the Son of God's words, if we can look at these with loving eyes, because he's spoken them and shared them with us to help us. If we remember all the good that God has done, if we see Jesus, the Son of Man, come to the earth that he created, God incarnate, 
speaking to a a crowd of people who have gathered in front of him in a distant, distant land a long, long time ago. And then we see him release these history-changing words that changed the atmosphere then and are changing the atmosphere now. If we think of Matthew, the tax collector, who wrote down these words prompted and inspired by the Holy Spirit, from which thousands of copies were reverently made, watched over and protected, not because they're good words, but because they're God words. And here in 2020, these words have persevered. They've persevered. They've been sovereignly protected. They have been pushed through the ages into our hands sitting right before our eyes, right before my eyes. Because God is a loving and forgiving God who desires to redeem and restore us if we simply trust Him. It's powerful. My heart's cry is I love these words I love all of his words I love his words they are an unmatched treasure for me and I choose to trust them because the best part of trusting his words this and I close blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord Jesus has long desired a oneness with me that was his prayerful heart cry in John chapter 17. I long to be one with you as the Father and I are one. Blessed is the man whose trust is the Lord. Regardless of the storm, Him. Regardless of the battle, Him. Regardless of the unexpected outcome, Him. He is our trust. Jesus is the someone you can carry with you always. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for building trust in us today. God, we are amazed at your pursuit of our hearts and our minds, our soul, our spirit. Thank you for your goodness, for your relentless pursuit of our hearts. You're a good 
and loving and gracious and forgiving God. And Lord, we declare that our trust in you has been built up today. Increase our trust. Increase our faith. Father, so that when the, when the storms of life come against us, when the challenges of life come against us, Lord, we will not be shaken. Thank you for your grace upon our lives. And in this moment, while believers are praying, I want to pray specifically for those of you who do not yet know Jesus. Maybe you've questioned the reliability of Jesus. Maybe you thought it was just some bandwagon thing people did on Sunday mornings. My prayer has been this week that you would begin to see that scales would be removed off your eyes, that the validity, the reliability, the trustworthiness of our God, who's here today for you to minister to your heart, to reveal his presence to you, to reveal his glory to you, and to start you off on a path of living the life that you were called and created to live. No life that you built on your own is even a close second. So if that's you, if you would say, I don't know Jesus. I know that I need Jesus in my life. If that's you, while believers are praying, we want to rejoice with you in that, that exciting decision. I will simply lead you in a prayer to introduce you to the King of Kings, to introduce you to the Son of God, the Son of Man. It would be my honor to do so. So while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around, believers are praying, and if that's you, if you're done trying to make it on your own, simply raise your hand so that I can see it. Simply raise your hand so that I can see it, and I will pray for you. Amen. You can go ahead and put it down. Amen. Is there anyone else? Let's build our trust in Jesus today. He's worthy of our trust. Amen. Well, I invite this one person to repeat after me. The entire congregation in an example of their excitement for you are gonna repeat along with us. Say this prayer out of your heart. God, I come to you as I am. I acknowledge my mistakes. I acknowledge my faults. I acknowledge my sin. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you lived a perfect life and you died on the cross for my sin. I thank you for making a way where there wasn't a way. Jesus, I need you. Lead me into the life that you have for me. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen and amen. Bless you guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time. It's been good.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.